0: Welcome to the first episode of Cuttings from the Garden of English. Who planted the garden? I've always been curious about many aspects of the English language and I'd love to make you curious too. More especially if you don't think of yourself as any sort of word nerd. I want to share my delight and awaken yours. It's fun to be something of a word detective a word archaeologist, to discover the path a word has taken and, above all, be entertained by the very human story it reveals. Nowadays, we are forever googling for information that might help us navigate our daily lives, broaden our experience, information about world politics, prominent people, art and culture, our health. So... Doesn't it seem negligent if we don't inquire more deeply too into arguably our most important tool, the language we use? Doesn't it seem a little odd if we aren't curious about its origins, the way in which it continues to expand, the way human nature with all its quirks and oddities has shaped it? I hope to be taking you on a few short tours through a rambling garden of wordly delights to offer you a few cuttings. The Garden of English is colourful, living and growing, bursting with energy, at times seemingly out of control as it sends off shoots in all directions. Think slang, covert word creations, social media speak. In some sections are useful plants, in others more ornamental ones. Think the and on, as against syzygy and tintinabulation. In some parts we have an elegant formal arrangement. Think Alma mater, respectfully yours. In others, a cosy, cottagey profusion of flowers. Think Mum, Collywobbles. In yet others, a little untamed wilderness. Think how it's okay to say, aren't I? But not, I aren't. A curve in a path leads to an almost hidden area of beauty and wonder. Think serendipity and mellifluous. A strange-looking creeper is swarming over the wall. Think text-speak. A hothouse nurtures exotics. Think Halcyon and Talisman and Petrichor. The odd moss-covered statue reminds us of some ancient mythological figure. Think Junoesque and Echo and Iridescent. Weeds constantly threaten to invade. Diligent gardeners indignantly root out some and laughingly or grudgingly learn to live with others. Think, gasp, of using a plural verb with a singular subject, or a split infinitive, or ending a sentence with a preposition, or saying different than rather than different from. I've called this episode, Who Planted the Garden? A pretty basic question to ask before we take some cuttings. Why, quite simply, is our language called English? Well, sure, it is the language spoken in England. But why is that country called England? At the time of the Roman occupation, nearly 2,000 years ago, the Romans called those parts we now know as England and Wales, Britannia. They never managed to subjugate much of Scotland and called the inhabitants Britanni, hence our words Britain and Britons. And Britani is likely a Latinized version of the local Celtic word Pratani, meaning painted people, in reference to their elaborate body tattoos in a blue plant-based dye called Woad, W-O-A-D. Mel Gibson's film Braveheart has the face of the Scottish hero William Wallace painted with Woad, a most unlikely historical event, although a powerful emotive symbol of Scottish antipathy to the English. Further back, before the label Britannia, Albion was the recorded name for the island in Greek writing. It too is thought to have come from a Celtic word. For the Romantic poets some 200 years ago, Albion was a nostalgic term for an idealised Briton. Mick Heron, author of the popular Slow Horses novels, plays on this when he chooses the name Sons of Albion for a white supremacist group. On the other hand, perfidious Albion, meaning treacherous, has been a label for Britain applied by its various European enemies for many centuries, by Ireland last century and as recently as Brexit. I said that Britannia likely comes from a Celtic word, The same spelling, C-E-L-T-I-C, and the same origin are in the differently pronounced Scottish football club Celtic. The word Celt comes from a Greek word for barbarians, Keltoi, and was the name given to them in Europe by the Greeks, regarding themselves as the centre of the civilised world. These tribes roamed Europe, and at least as far east as Turkey, for several centuries B.C., before settling in Britain, bringing their languages with them. Julius Caesar mentions a tribe of fierce warriors called the Celti, but they were only one of many tribes we didn't call Celts, at first pronounced Celts, until the 17th century. Homo sapiens has been detected 40,000 years ago in Britain, but for much of this prehistoric period, successive ice ages made the land uninhabitable. The current theory is 12,000 years of continuous occupation after the ice, and as Britain was joined to Europe till about 4,500 BC, the early groups of settlers would simply have walked there. We know very little about most of them. The Celts, or Britons as they became at the end of their journey, arrived some 700 years before the Romans. You might well be wondering when English is going to figure in this account. Bear with me just a little longer. The history of many languages is by and large the history of conquest. The French language, for example, is an offshoot of Latin, established in the Roman province of Gallia, called Gaul in English, in the area of modern France and its neighbours, when those areas were conquered by the Romans some 2,000 years ago in the expansion of their empire westward. The local language in Gallia became a Gallo-Roman mix over a century or two of colonisation, and this was the basis of French. The word Gaul will be familiar to those of us who have ever been Asterix, the Gaul comic book fans, And Gallia is echoed in our expression today for that quintessential French gesture that we call a Gallic shrug, suggesting, Whatever it is, it's not my problem. So the French language was created by Roman conquest. And conquest is there too in the establishment of English in Britain. The Romans occupied Britain for about 350 years at the beginning of the Common Era, and you might well have assumed that English is perhaps a Latin-based language. I think I did when I was in high school, glimpsing all sorts of English words as we inched through the Latin text of Caesar's Gallic Wars, Book 5. But English is not rooted in Latin, even though well over half our words are of Latin origin often arriving later via French. Those invading Romans 2,000 years ago left only a little immediate influence on the local language. Such influence as there was on English from Latin came more from their earlier dealings, mainly in war and trade, with various Germanic tribes in Europe who had already absorbed Latin and Celtic by the time they came to Britain, We'll get to their exploits. Words such as street, mile, cheap, wine, flask, kettle, cup, cheese, pepper, butter, copper, dragon, angel, church, Saturday. But later Christian missionaries to Britain in the 6th and 7th centuries were the main influence of Latin, bringing many more words from their church Latin. Sabbath, priest, priest and words associated with literature and learning, school, history, master, verse, cancer, fennel, cucumber. The Celtic influence on English is also very small, mainly in elements of place names, although modern linguists have suggested that certain grammatical structures, such as the present continuous tense, as in I am reading, and the meaningless do in sentences such as do you like it, are Celtic constructions, still to be found in Welsh today, but in no continental languages. After the Romans departed from Britain in the 400s to attend to their failing empire at home, opportunistic invaders we called Angles, closer to Engler in their own language, came from what is now northern Germany and Denmark. Speaking Anglish... They called the new land they settled, logically enough, Inglerland. The English of the new settlers, with a little Latin and Celtic, already absorbed when they were in Europe, gradually superseded the local Celtic languages or forced them to retreat mainly to the far north and west and southwest. Other tribes, Saxons and Jutes, from similar homelands in Europe also came. These are the peoples we call Anglo Saxons, and their language in their new territory came to be called Old English. The languages of these tribes were very similar. We classify them as Germanic languages, thus, the root of our language is Germanic. The words in English given to us by these settlers, in a form that has changed over the centuries, are usually those for the most basic aspects of life. Natural elements such as earth, sea, sun, moon, star, wind, water, light, dark. The stuff of daily life such as man, woman, child, father, mother, head, arm, finger, ankle, nose, house, field, neighbour, friend, stone, food, drink, milk, dog, bird, fish, pig, cow, horse, Sword, axe, book, word, love, life, sorrow. Essential adjectives such as good, bad, hot, cold, high, old. Essential verbs such as be, have, do, go, come, think, thank, teach, answer, kill, speak, fly. As well as most of our pronouns, numbers and basic colours. Nearly all these words have only one syllable, which might make you think they were a rather dreary lot of monosyllabic grunters. But Anglo-Saxon, like modern German and modern English, was also very fond of compound words. One of the simplest, yet most wonderfully descriptive, has led to our word daisy. It is made up of two words, I in reference to the flower's opening of its petals in the morning sun and the closing of them at night. Some others have survived, such as werewolf, bloodshed, doomsday, grasshopper, bridegroom, rainbow. In their poetry, the best-known work being the epic tale of the hero Beowulf and his battle with the monster Grendel, they used many evocative metaphorical compounds, such as Bonehouse for body Whale road for the sea Seahorse and wave floater for a ship Battle sweat for blood Battle gleam for a sword Heaven's candle for the sun We may no longer use these compounds but we have continued to create many of our own Pickpocket, Skyscraper, Daydream Lacklustre, Crowdfunding Earworm, Keyboard you could easily rattle off ten more. This Germanic influence on the language of England was boosted by the next wave of seafaring invaders in the 9th and 10th centuries from areas we now know as Norway, Sweden and Denmark. We call these invaders Vikings, but the English at that time called them Norsemen or Danes. Their Old Norse language melded with the not-too-dissimilar Anglo-Saxon, the differences between their grammatical endings leading to many being lopped off for simplicity. Words from that period today include many to do with death and destruction, not surprising from that warrior culture familiar to us from the long-running Vikings TV series. Club, knife, slaughter, ransack, berserk and the Old Norse pronouns they, their and them ousted the earlier English equivalents. Less violent concerns can be seen in birth, law, plough, window, another compound made up of the words wind and eye, egg, cake, glove, husband, guest, foot, leg, keel, freckles. The roots of English, were thus firmly established over a period of nearly 600 years, only to be inundated with yet another wave of invasion in the Norman conquest of 1066. The Normans, too, as their name implies, were Northmen, descended from Vikings, and their homeland was Normandy, in the northwestern area of what is now France. William the Conqueror became the first Norman king of England, And French was the first language of English kings for some 300 years. Hundreds of words to do with government, law, war, the church, fashion, food and learning were adopted. And most of them we would not today realise were French. They don't look or sound French like modern borrowings such as cuisine, ballet, lingerie, attaché. They feel English, words such as beef, army, river, bacon, prayer. Yet despite the huge influx of French words into English in this period, most of those words derived from Latin, because French is a romance language, romance of course from the Romans, not from love, English eventually survived as the language of the conquered island the Germanic roots of the English garden were too strong to be destroyed. Other invasions to shape the language were those made by Britain in the spread of its empire from the 16th to the 19th centuries to the far reaches of the globe. English was a giant sponge, enthusiastically absorbing countless words from the countries under British dominion many of which do not strike us today as particularly exotic, such as tomato, banana, pyjamas, shampoo, veranda. In Australia, the basic language today might instead of English have been Dutch or Spanish or Portuguese or French or even Chinese according to some unsupported theories of exploration had not Lieutenant James Cook been the first invader to claim part of Australia for England in 1770. Not only is history written by the winners, but very often language itself.